0: Hey guys, how are you? I am so excited for this week's episode because it was such like a mind-blowing thing. I randomly ran into this book called The Big Fat Activity Book for Pregnant People in Montana. And then I like stalked down the author and then it turns out that she's like pretty famous and I'd never heard of her. And so that makes me feel like weird. Then I, now I'm like devouring her blog and her books and all things. And her name's Jordan Reed. And she has this really cool story about being one of like the original kind of like co-writers and creators of Always Sunny in Philadelphia. And this really interesting, fun 20s life in New York. And then all of the things that change you when you get married and you become pregnant and when the core of who you are is an author and a writer. And so we really spent this episode talking less about her birth stories, but we did get into those and there's some beautiful pearls, especially with postpartum depression and birth trauma and advocacy at the very end of the episode. But this episode is heavy on becoming, right? Like becoming a mom and becoming a parent and becoming true to yourself and your work passions and how this book, the big fat activity book for pregnant people, can just bring levity to the anxiety of the pregnancy journey. So I really hope you enjoy this episode. Thank you. And if you know anybody that just needs some hilarity right now and some lightness in their own pregnancy journey, will you share this episode with them? Because that would really mean a lot to me. All right, let's get to it. What does a contraction feel like? How do I know if I'm in labor? And what does a day of labor look like? Wait, wait. Is this normal? Hey, I'm Heidi. My best friends call me Hyde. I'm a certified birth doula, host of this podcast, and author of Birth Story, an interactive pregnancy guidebook. I have supported hundreds of women through their labor and deliveries, and I believe every one of them, and you, deserves a microphone and a stage. So here we are. Listen each week to get answers to these tough questions. Birth Story, where we talk about pregnancy, labor, deliveries, where we tell our stories and share our feelings. And of course, chat about our favorite baby products and motherhood. And because I'm passionate about birth outcomes, you will hear from some of the top experts in labor and delivery. Whether you are pregnant, trying desperately to get pregnant, or you just love a good birth story, I hope you will stick around and be part of this birth story family. Okay, before we get started with Jordan's episode, I just wanna jump in for a quick minute and let you know about Birth Story Academy because pre-sales begin on December 1st. That's three weeks from now. And there is a special discount only for Birth Story podcast listeners. So this discount will not be available anywhere except for those of you that are loyal to listening to the podcast, okay? So from December 1st until the launch of the course on February 1st, I am giving the Birth Story podcast listeners like a runway of a 50% off discount. So you will get 50% off the course. No one else will. 50% off by using code birthstorypodcast at birthstory.com. So head over to birthstory.com, click on Birth Story Academy, and then you can purchase the online course for 50% off. All right, now what are you gonna get in this course? 20 modules where I take you through as a veteran doula, I'm gonna become your virtual doula, and I walk you through all of the stages of labor. How do you know you're in labor? Prodromal labor, early labor, first stage, second stage, third stage. Then every decision that you have to make if you are birthing at a hospital. So this course is geared to those that are birthing at a hospital. And then I walk you through every decision that you have to make just as if I was your doula and you were my private client. At the end of it, you're going to have four deliverables. So you're going to have a spontaneous birth plan, an induction birth plan, a cesarean birth plan, and then a newborn care plan. There are a ton of free guides and bonuses and 20 short modules to keep you very entertained. And again, only you guys, that's it, are going to get 50% off. So use Birth Story Podcast as the code for 50% off at birthstory.com for the launch of Birth Story Academy. If you know someone who is pregnant, newly pregnant, and just maybe they can't afford a doula, maybe they want to do it on their own, but they're trying to figure out what childbirth course they should take, please share with them about Birth Story Academy. Okay, let's get to Jordan. Hey, Jordan, welcome to the Birth Story Podcast. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to talk with you, Thank Jordan, you. today because I have no idea even where this interview is going to go, but I feel like I should start with telling everyone like why we're here. And I have like this list, you guys, that's like 400 people long that are like, can I be on your podcast? Can I be on your podcast? And it's so, I mean, it just warms my heart. It's so amazing. But typically I prefer, to choose who comes on to my podcast, like Jordan, I had to stalk her. So I'm going to tell you guys a little story. I spent the whole summer in Out West. So just like traveling around in an RV with my family, um, Montana, Idaho, Washington, and kind of back to Montana. And I ended my vacation in Whitefish, Montana. So I'm so curious, Jordan, in a minute to ask you some questions about this. I know nothing about whitefish. You don't? Okay. Oh, that's even, (laughs) this is even more interesting. Okay. So I, I wander into like this cute little gift shop and I just don't even remember the name of it. And I should. So I apologize to the people that I can't remember the name of your gift shop. But if I do remember it, I'll put it in the show notes. And I came across this book that was like, no one can see this because you guys are not watching this, but. It's like basically like a pregnant lady or person on her back, their back. I'm I'm fucking up all my pronouns right now, but you know what I'm saying. A person on their back and like presumably giving birth. And there's like an audience of all these people and someone with a cell phone. And it says, The Big Fat Activity Book for Pregnant People by Jordan Reed and Aaron Williams. And I was like, I've read every pregnancy book on the market. I wrote a pregnancy book. You know, I have a pregnancy podcast. What is this? A book I've never heard of before. And apparently it's super famous. A lot of people know about it. And so I start flipping through the pages and I'm laughing, 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 laughing. And I have gone on to purchase this book for so many doula clients. So
1: that's my story
0: of how I found you, Jordan. I love that story. But I want I love know. it
1: when when people tell me they find my books. Actually, I, I found my books. I was in a little tiny town called uh, Paso Robles and we were in this little bookstore and I was with my kids and they're like, There's like five books. I'm sorry, it wasn't even a bookstore, it was like a gift shop. Yeah. And my kids are like, mommy, your book. And I was like, No, it's not. And then I looked over, and I was like, Oh my god, it's only my book. That's so exciting. That's so and it was just exciting. it's so lovely to find them in like these little nooks in the
0: world. It is so exciting. And later I'm going to ask you how they get to all these places because that's where I'm like, I'm like, how do you not know about this like tiny little gift shop that like picked hand selected because your book really fit the image of this gift shop, you know? And so it's just really funny. So I want to start there. We're going to get to Jordan's birth stories and we're going to talk about all these things because she really focuses on trauma, mental health mommy block, like all the things. So Jordan, let's start there. Who are you and how did you, who am who I? are you and how did you write this book that is now my favorite pregnancy activity book that imaginable? That
1: is so nice. I'm glowing. You can't see it, but I'm glowing. Um, so I'll give you a kind of quick rundown of how I got to the place where I was writing this. this it's actually a series of books, the big activity book series. We have one for anxiety, digital detox, one for divorce. Very funny topic. Um,
0: they had the one on divorce at this gift shop. It
1: did. Also. Yep. Amazing. Mm, yep. And then we have um, kids, I'm very excited about this, one for kids coming out soon, <sighs> um, which will be announced pretty soon. So I started out, I was an actress actually for uh, many, many years. And I co-created the show, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. I was the original like, sweet bee was my character. I don't know if you know the show.
0: But okay. I, ended- I do know the show, and I watched like almost all of it until like there was a point where like the main character was pregnant, and then I don't know what happened in my life. I that was the last season that I saw.
1: Well, I'm not on it, it's a spoiler. Um, okay. <laughs> because uh, there was it's very dramatic. The story is on my site, it's on Shackle glam if you're interested in, in reading it. Okay. But basically, my the co-creator was my boyfriend and he was the showrunner. We broke up and they had fired and I left the industry in a ball of flames and I cried for like five years, you know, because I'm also like seeing my ex-boyfriend with his... The girl he hired to replace me is his wife. They've got married. So I'm like seeing my ex-boyfriend and his new girlfriend and Times Square posters and it was like pretty traumatizing,
0: I would yeah, say. Yeah, because you, um, you, so- you were like, wait, hold on. That was some of my content, I'm assuming. And... That was supposed to be me. Oh, yeah, we shot it in my house. Yeah. Oh, my god. Yeah. Okay. It was very traumatizing. And
1: I don't think it wouldn't happen today with the awareness we have of how women are sort of marginalized, especially in the entertainment industry, which was at the time, super old boys club. Um, Still is, but there's more awareness now. Um, Anyway, that led me to sort of going back to what I'd always wanted to do with my life, which was be a writer. Unfortunately, this was in 2007, when the entire journalism industry just fell entirely to pieces. So uh, I couldn't get a job. I tried to get a job and couldn't. Ended up in HR, more crying, lots of crying during this time period. There was like, I would crawl under my desk and and get in a little ball and cry every day. And is this like your 20s? This is my mid-20s, yeah Mid-20s, okay. And then I met this girl who had been on the cover of Wired magazine, Famous for Nothing. That was like, the I think this, the title was like Famous for Nothing. Like she was the Paris Hilton of the internet. And we got to be friends and she said she was a blogger. And I said, what's, what's that? It just wasn't really a thing. I mean, it was a, it's a very niche thing. It certainly yeah. wasn't a job at the time. And then I quit my job and decided to become a professional blogger at a time that when that was not a career descriptor. And then it sort of took off, and it was just very um, timely. And we we just sort of were there at that exact moment that the whole industry exploded, and you know there was advertising dollars being like poured into it. And so I sort of had a front row ticket to the entire evolution of influencer culture, from the absence of it to what it is now, which is just completely horrifying in in every way. (laughs) And somewhere, like maybe five years ago, I started realizing that it was not going to be a viable career model forever because I was going to age out of wanting, I was just going to age out of caring about this and not wanting to talk about my life, which I just didn't want to do anymore. And at that time, my co-author of the pregnancy book, Aaron Williams and I started a little, an online shop called Glam Camp. Okay. And she created this adorable pregnancy, like mini coloring book. And I just thought it was amazing. I thought it was the funniest thing I'd ever seen. And at the time I had written two books that like, we don't even have to talk about them. Nobody ever read them. Um, (laughs) Like my mom, I'm not sure my mom read them, but I contacted my agent and we brought it to Penguin Random House and they bought it. And all of a sudden we were on this journey that has now taken us into like, I don't even know how many books there are in the series. It's it's very exciting and very fortunate.
0: It is very exciting, especially someone like me. I'm a birth doula. I'm obsessed with birth. I've been a doula for 17 years. I literally believe I've read every pregnancy book that's ever been written or on the market. And so you can imagine my surprise when I was like, oh, thank God, someone did something (laughs) funny. Somebody did something real, raw, and like not taking it so seriously too. That's exactly it, yeah. I mean, so I, I don't know all your intentions, but those are some of the things of my takeaway from this big fat activity book. And honestly, you just need something to do while you're like waiting in the waiting room. If you don't feel like watching TikTok videos and having every person sitting next to you hear what you're listening to on TikTok (laughs) while you're waiting to go back for your appointments or stuff. I mean, it's just, I mean, every, you can open any page of this book, you guys, and just, I mean, I think I sat on the floor, like, I was like, okay, I'm going to buy it, but how many copies am I going to buy is the problem. And now I have to get on an airplane and it was a whole decision-making thing. So you have this crazy story Really going back to Always Sunny in Philadelphia, that's a random twist I wasn't expecting. Yeah, it's a very weird
1: career trajectory for sure.
0: But I think that like what we're getting to, you alluded at the beginning when I met you that like you had had kind of a traumatic birth and that Mm -hmm. you have had a a career of talking about mental health and well-being and like, you know, I don't know what traumas existed in your life prior to that one, but that seems like a, a big trauma. And um, this is side note, my listeners know I'm a giant expert in trauma. I host another podcast called Thanks, it's the trauma, because my <laughs> husband turned into a transgender woman five years into our marriage. Surprise. Wow. <laughs> I, I'm surprised. Heter- Surprise. I'm heterosexual and I accidentally married a woman eight years ago. So that's weird. Trauma is something I love talking about. And I love, especially in the parenthood journey, working through it. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like that was like a, a foundation of your journey here.
1: Yeah, I would say that my willingness to explore trauma publicly was directly proportional to like the ages of my children. As they grew older and I started seeing them become humans and thinking about them as, you know, their future selves it dawned on me the, um, I guess the extent of the trauma I'd been through, not, not just the birth, just uh, sexual assault, depression, anxiety, um, you know, you name it. And I had sort of compartmentalized it until I started thinking of myself as someone else's child, I guess, which I hadn't been able to do until I had my own children up until then. I was just like, oh, it's stuff that happened. I'm, I'm fine. It's fine. And then well, I'll tell you my, my birth story a little bit later, but it is relevant. And I think with the pregnancy book and also with the anxiety book, the, the get TV book for anxious people, Erin and I both carrying anxious people. Mm-hmm. We both had relatively traumatic birth stories, or at least uh, she has one child, but we you know both went through it. And we were really tired of being so earnest all the time about it. Like mm-hmm. it's okay. To think it's funny that, like, you can't walk down a grocery store aisle, like, near chicken without wanting to vomit. Like, that's like, it's funny. That's a funny side effect of pregnancy. Like, and there's just so much about it that people, you know, women feel bad about their bodies or they feel like they gain too much weight. And I feel like, or they're feeling sick all the time or disconnected from their partner and adding that levity of, like, yeah, this is fucking wild. Like, let's laugh about it makes. I mean, just makes a world of difference. And with my divorce book, that's another another area that people are like, "It's all boo hoo, and are you okay?" And oh my god, that's so sad. And my ex husband and I like die laughing now over all the stuff, like lawyers and like angry emails and everything. And we just like (laughs) read them to each other now, and we're just like rolling on the floor. At how insane we both were when we were going through it, oh, this um, makes and I me just think feel... that this
0: thing—what? I just think this makes me feel so good, Jordan, because <laughs> my ex and I are right there. I mean, like, I mean, I podcast about it now, you know. Like, I mean, it was hard and it was thick and trauma is deep, you know. But like, the thing out there that like is a foundation for my life is like, I'm not gonna waste my pain. You know what I mean? Like, I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to laugh about it. I'm going to share about it. I'm going to grow with it. I mean, Mm -hmm. like, I'm not going to have all of this pain and trauma and then just waste that covering up under blankets for the rest of my life, you know? It sounds like... you know
1: who does that really well? Have you read Ali Brosh?
0: No. Mm -mm, I don't know who that is.
1: Hyperbole and a half. And she wrote solutions, so hyperbole and a half is her first book and solutions and other problems is her second book. Okay, And, she, and it's like a graphic novel that's like laugh out loud, hilarious about her journey through like profound depression and anxiety. Her sister dies in the second book. And that she talks about that. And like, obviously there are moments of very emotional moments, but it's like, that's her coping mechanism. And that's also kind of been mine.
0: Yep. You know, it reminds me too, this whole conversation. Someone just gave me a book this week called Furiously Happy. Do you know this? And I think that... It sounds familiar. I may get this wrong. I think her name is Jenny Lawson, maybe. But the cover of the oh, book... Oh, I know Jenny Lawson. Oh, yeah, did? Bloggers. Yes. Okay. So she's... Yes. yes. And she has the cover of this book is a raccoon... That's like frozen, like a taxidermy raccoon. I've that's read like, it. I've read it. Now, yeah, now I remember it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Hilarious. Yeah. And this is her service animal. Okay. So yeah. anyway, I mean, sidebar, but I think it is one thing to have people like us who go through big things in our childhoods and then in our marriages and our 20s and all the things. And then we become parents. What you were saying, you know, starting to say was like, and then that perspective, shifts when you go from being a child to being a parent with a child so did all of this like your children are 9 and 7 and i'm so mm-hmm. excited to hear their birth stories and get into that but did all of this um content start i mean i know the blogging started long before your children came along mm-hmm. but did the books and the content then come like did you write this pregnancy book after Right? Yeah. Okay.
1: (laughs) Oh, I could never have written it before. (laughs) I assumed, you know. Every pregnant woman on the planet would be like, "Mm -hmm. mm-hmm, come
0: back to me later. Right. I (laughs) I mean, I assumed. I just wanted to, like, you know, make sure. Yeah. So here you are on the scene, 2007. I mean... I, this is the first time I had a blog, also, right? It was about traveling. Mm-hmm. Nobody read it. And it's like, I probably still up there. It's like on blogspot.com, you know. I don't oh, know I if, had
1: a blog. Spot. Yeah. I'm like, you know, remember that. this is like. Two... Mine was about dating in my 20s in LA and nobody read it.
0: I would have <laughs> told totally, Very, very original. Content. But I would have read that. Like that, I, I would have read. I probably I probably did read it. I would have read it. Mine was like traveling as a traveling soccer player around the world. Nobody read it, but I thought it was really good. It's an outlet though, right? Like writing and blogging and Mm -hmm. all this. And so you were at the, you were at the forefront. You were the um, blazing the path for what is social media essentially today and the way that we communicate. And so just walk me through a little bit of 2007 to parenthood. That's kind of my curiosity of Jordan. Yeah, made. like
1: the so when we started, me and this other girl, there was there was three of us, and we were like, the, the it's so embarrassing to talk about now, but like the angle that the woman who was you know the de facto leader of us three was we were like fabulous city girls around town. It was very, like height of sex in the city. Mm-hmm. It was all glamorous shots. Meanwhile, I'm like, I can't even buy coffee. I'm so broke. I'm living in a fourth floor walk up with a hole in the floor with my, or, you know, we had just gotten married, me and my husband. And, you know, pretending to have this like ridiculous, glamorous, lavish life online. And it made me like, that. it was so embarrassing. And then we ended up that that little company for as much as you can call it, that broke up. And I went and started my own
0: site. Thanks for letting me interrupt this episode for just a quick minute with some reminders. One, Birth Story Academy is launching on February 1st, 2022, but pre sales start on December 1st, 2021. So if you are listening in that window, I am offering 50% off to my loyal podcast listeners with code Birth Story Podcast second reminder, there are so much to devour at birthstory.com for free. So if you just click on birthstory.com, go to the workbook, type in your email address, it unlocks an entire library of all of my free resources. So if you want to learn more about placenta encapsulation, delayed cord clamping, have birth plan templates, like whatever your heart desires, I probably have written a guide for it. My latest guides are on postpartum recovery and breastfeeding. So I hope you will check out all those free resources at bursary.com. And last but not least, if you want to go the extra mile, I would love it if you would push pause and leave a review and then click the icon that says share and send the podcast or a favorite episode. To someone that you know who is pregnant, trying to become pregnant, loves birth stories, or that would really enjoy the birth story podcast. The only way people learn about this is through word of mouth and referral. So I love those reviews and those shares, and I appreciate you so much. So let's get back to this episode.
1: When I started Ramshackle Glam, which was my own platform, the very first Post that I put up or one of the first was like my husband and I like stones at like midnight dancing to Sugar Ray. And that's not something like they would have ever sort of, that was not within the brand that they wanted, but I was so tired of being this like pretend New York person. And so I just started writing about what was really going on in my life. And it was, it was really, it was just the beginning of like this kind of back and forth with readers that of course we're all so used to it now, but at the time, you know, I had a hate site that would write about every single thing I did every single day, which we have a under, as we have a cultural understanding of that now where it like, I think we can, we get where it's coming from, but at the time it was just terrifying. It was so, so, so upsetting just to have people just, I mean, go after you constantly. But I just kept going, I guess. And over time it became a sort of form of, I'm not sure if this is healthy, but it felt healthy. It became a sort of public form of therapy. So I remember one night my husband and I got in this, you know, you know, married people are, it's like you get in the same fight over and over and over. And you're just like, you just feel like it's never going to get better and
0: even when I you get divorced out. you still fight about the same things that you fought that you fought about when you were married
1: like whenever he says the word help that's my trigger word i'm like you're not helping me there aren't children anyway <laughs> <laughs> so we still have that fight and yeah so we had this we had this terrible fight and i sat down and i wrote this post about it and then i sent it to him both because I tended to always run things by him that had to do with him, of course, but also because I like needed his help because he's a really good writer. And he ended up working on this post with me, like uncredited, no one knew. But, and we like went back and forth and somehow through the writing of this piece, we reached a resolution. Wow. I know, and and I, and I know that, the thing that a lot of people say is then why couldn't you just keep it to yourself? Why, why put it out in the world? And I think the answer is that something about having other people bear witness to what we were doing gave us a perspective that we would have lacked if we were just like going at it in a, like a dark room.
0: Yeah. It's like a, a massive moderator.
1: It's a massive moderator. Like I, I couldn't be like, he's a fucking asshole. I had to be like, he feels that this, because I, you know, I just had to be cognizant of what, what I was saying uh, and how it would impact him in a way that I, and married people are very vicious with each other. I was just reading an article. We, we talk to each other or they, I guess they talk to each other in ways that you would never talk to a friend ever. Yeah. The friend would be like, I'm not your friend anymore. <laughs> Cause how dare you talk to me that way? You know, I don't know if you've, found that
0: in your own marriage. We, moments, yeah, like moments. I'm like, how could I hurt the person with these words that are like a burning stake in a fire to the person I love? Like that's how, but I could annihilate, annihilate them with words and then later just like drown in a ball of tears. Like how could I treat someone like that? Oh God.
1: Um, but that's what I found actually a lovely, this is a tangent obviously, but a lovely side effect of divorce is we now talk to each other the way we expect others to talk to us in our lives. So we say, please, we say, thank you. We appreciate the things that the other does for us rather than taking them for granted because they don't have to do anything for us, really.
0: hundred percent. I have found that it in my divorce. It's
1: like the best thing for our relationship. I mean, mm-hmm. it. Like it is so exciting to see that that is possible and how little society wants it to be possible. Like no one understands it. And they're like, well, are you guys getting back together? And it's like, no, but just because other people doesn't, don't understand it doesn't mean it's not absolutely perfect for us or right for us.
0: Yeah. It is very hard to describe to the upsides of divorce.
1: There are so many.
0: Yeah. So many.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I don't have to touch Nen's underwear anymore and do the
0: laundry and, you know, that's a big part. Yes. So, um, so keep going, Jordan. So keep going. I am like, I am all in. So you are writing. It is, you know, you said like people would say, why are you writing about this? And I'm the opposite. I'm like, why would you not be? Why would you not be sharing your expertise with the world?
1: Well, so that's actually something that I was really careful to always say, because around this time I started doing, doing like, I was working with a lot of companies and doing like what's called integrations, which is when say like DKNY pays me to like curate a capsule collection or like host an event or like Tide hires me to show my cleaning tips or whatever. We've all seen that content at the time though, it was much more about writing and then about just like straight promotion. Okay. But um, I started going on a lot of shows. I had my own show called Jordan in the House for two seasons, which was uh, basically a home decor show. I had a couple of shows for Allure about sort of accessible makeup. And people were always wanting me to call myself an expert. They're like, makeup expert Jordan Reed, Um, home decor expert Jordan Reed. And I was like, please don't ever say that. (laughs) I am so super, super not an expert. I just like trying things and talking about what went right and what went wrong.
0: Would so you really say really you're an that. expert in vulnerability?
1: Um, I would say yes. I think if there's one thing I'm an expert at, it's screwing up with a sense of humor.
0: Okay. I like that. That's your title of your next book?
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, But yes. So basically I was at sort of the, you know, doing well in this industry that was just absolutely blowing up, but then it started to shift and I had a manager at the time and she, you know, they were like, you need your Instagram to look like this. And I was like, but I'm not a model. And they're like, well, be one. And I'm like, and I'm also not a photographer. They're like, well, be one. And it went from being like, no, I'm a, I'm a writer to being like professional photo shoots for every post. And it just really bothers me the direction that all of this has gone in.
0: So let's pause right there because I think there's a lot of parents that listen to my show because two reasons. One, they're pregnant and they're looking for a birth story and they're looking for advice from a doula. Two... I talk to parents about their careers and their life changes and how parenting changes you. And so I think it's really important, like I'm hearing all of this, like, kind of like identity life crisis that was going on. And you're saying like internal dialogue, no, I'm a writer. Like, no, I'm an oversharer. No, I'm an external processor. I'm not an expert on makeup and I'm not an expert on home decor. And like, I might like those things or be good at them, but but I just want to keep writing. So I guess what I'm asking now is you're married. I don't know if kids have come at this point, but like, at what point do you decide to stand up for you and create or carve out the life that you want versus the creative life that other people are painting for you?
1: It can tell you the exact moment, in fact. Okay. So I was sort of like one of the people that was, you know, doing getting a lot of campaigns and everything. And then, as I said, the industry sh- started to shift towards models and sort of more visual creators and writers. And I sort of started flailing and not getting as many campaigns. And we were very reliant on my income. And I was frankly panicking. This, This isn't sustainable. What am I going to do? still still pulling it through, but I felt this enormous pressure to post every single day. And I mean long form posting every single day. And I was on Instagram and I was posted trying to post like multiple times a day and all had to be very curated because potential brands would look at my Instagram. And if it wasn't aesthetically what they wanted, they wouldn't hire me. So everything was like you know, cool background. We've all seen it by now. And I was in a children's museum and my kids were maybe my daughter would have been and it's like, she was maybe six months and my son was maybe three. And I, you know, they were playing with this little like dinosaur installation thing. And I felt myself taking out my phone to take a picture of them because it was like a good background, right? And they, they like were, po- whatever. I just noticed that that would be a good photo, not a photo of my kids who I love, but a good photo. And then I look over and there's another mother next to me and her kids were playing. And she said, guys, wait, stop. Go back and do the thing that you were just doing. And she made her kids stop playing and go back and play something that they had stopped playing to get the good photo. And she wasn't even a professional. I mean, I'm assuming she was just a mom taking a photo of her kids. And at that moment, I realized uh, not only how very much I did not want ever to do that ever again, But the impact that the choices I had been making were having, you know, not that I am responsible, but I'm partially responsible. I'm part of the system that was responsible for creating that moment where that mother asked her own children to stop playing so she could take a picture.
0: Ooh, that's heavy, Jordan.
1: And, you know, to put it in context, it's not like I stopped. It's not like I, I, I didn't stop. I only stopped blogging daily maybe a year and a half ago. And now I write when I feel like it, but I don't really feel like it. <laughs> I just want to write about things that aren't myself. And also as children get older, like my kids, I never, I was always careful not to write their stories for them and instead keep the focus on, you know, my experience as a mother, not not share about their internal feelings or what they were doing, um, which became an interesting balance while writing about a divorce, which I wrote. I I wrote about everything going on with the divorce, but not about them. But you know, they're older now, and they they don't want me to write about them, and I respect that. And they can, and they're like, it's our lives and it's private. I'm like, yeah, it is. Yeah, totally. And as as we as our this culture, as our kids age in this culture and grow up, a lot of us are going to have to be having those conversations, you know, where we say, "Hey, I'm so sorry that I Instagrammed your entire infancy."
0: Yep. I will never forget the moment that I shared with my... I'm like, this isn't an audience I shared with. This is like my private Facebook group, right? Of like, you know, the 500 people you went to high school with or whatever. And I had just found out that my um, youngest had cerebral palsy. Oh, And um, he was two years old. And I will never forget that moment, that parental moment where I put it out on the internet, you know, because I'm the mom, I'm mourning and I'm grieving and I was wanting to share and I was looking for help. And my sister-in-law calls me right after the post. And she said, you know what? One day he's gonna be 16 and someone's gonna type his name into Google and they're gonna find out everything about him, including the fact that he has cerebral palsy and is, it's very mild. So he's like, and she said, and what if he overcomes that and doesn't want people to know about that about him? And oh, I'm clearly, I'm sharing about this now because we have gone on as a family to be giant supporters of a step and different organizations that support Cerebral Palsy Alliance Foundation. And so we talk about Jagger's story. But it was this aha moment. That was the aha moment for me of what I was sharing, right? Like, oh my gosh, I am telling their stories that are not mine to share. Right. So here you are, you're in the Children's Museum. And did it, so did it just, did the music just stop playing for you?
1: No, it didn't. It didn't stop. It gave me pause. And of course I went home and wrote about this, Um I started thinking a lot more about work-life separation. I think um, not a small issue in my marriage was the extent to which my work bled into every single aspect of our lives. You know, my, my husband was an Instagram husband. I was like, take a picture. You know, it's just so noxious. So, ugh. <laughs> and, you know, I documented everywhere we went and everything we did and it was constantly like you know, making videos and and I wasn't I was performing our life instead of living it. It didn't feel that way at the time. It felt fun, genuinely. But then it stopped feeling fun. I started realizing I just wanted to sit down on the couch in front of a beautiful fireplace with my child and not take a picture of it. And like I like I really, really did not want to take a picture of it. And then I think post divorce So that, so then around maybe a few months after that, we commenced this divorce, which also commenced an intense period of oversharing on my part, but also the writing that I would say I'm proudest of that I've done in my career. Um, it was just, just completely honest. And anyway, it was, it was just a really transformative period. And I became intensely private about the kids during that time because of what they were going through. And, um, and then I don't know, I guess I just, I feel like I said what I have to say about me at this point. Yeah. (laughs) As I sit here on a podcast, just talking about myself.
0: (laughs) No, but it, but the story is so interesting and it resonates with so many parents, right? And I think that like the reason I like to have these conversations is because when you come to a birth podcast and we're, we tell birth stories, we also need to tell stories of life and how we, how we parented and how we got through different things. But one thing that keeps coming up for me as you're talking is how writing, why writing? Like, do you remember the first time you wrote, the first time you ever wrote feelings like picked up a pen or a pencil and wrote something. Like, did you have diaries in third grade? I mean, yeah, when did I mean, this I had start?
1: my whole life. I can't even look at them now because. Okay. The, I think it's called Ver- Verlegenheit. Is that the German word? It's like just just so cringy. I can't I can't look at them. <laughs> but no, I wrote fiction as a and uh, well, I wrote fiction and wrote about like diaries and everything my whole life since I was maybe three years old, four years old. Okay which is why it feels strange right now to all of a sudden have this, like this choking sensation when I sit down to like write a blog. And I think that it might be that, well, I'm an only child. I was always not performative exactly, but like, I like modeled and acted and like, I was very self-absorbed and I'm sure I continue to be. Um, But there's something about your children getting a little bit older When you start realizing that you're not the star of the show anymore, they are, and I'm more interested in their story right now. And I don't—I don't know that that will always be the case. I don't know what happens when they go to college, you know. But to me, to sit and you know, like explore relentlessly my feelings and me, 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 when there are these two kids right here that need me to put down the computer and engage with them is not something I feel like doing at this moment. Does that make sense?
0: Yes, and that resonates deeply with me, and I believe also deeply with my audience that are parents, some of them are here because they're pregnant for the first time, and then some of them are here because they're pregnant for the seventh time, and they have older children, and they are on this same pause, right? And this is where I joke and I'm like, and that's why life coaches are making millions of dollars because all of, I mean, I'm 43, so I'm like everyone, I feel like myself is like, hey, executive coach, help me dream about what the next thing is in life. Because our children are so, they're so fascinating and they're so fun and,
1: they weren't that interesting when
0: they were tiny. They just sort of. Yeah. <laughs> like, they were hard. They were. It's so hard. They were so hard. And I feel almost like when they get like to be little people, then they get their independence and we start to re- receive back a lot of our independence. And then you do, you find yourself in this position. Who am I? who am I? I knew who I was. I knew what I did. I knew all these things that Jordan Reed stood for. And then you, you find yourself in this moment and you're like, but who am I today? Right. Who do I want to be next? And I think.
1: very So going, going through a divorce and like dating and stuff, I've been divorced for three years now. So like they know I go on dates and stuff. But there was this, this incident that happened that made me realize the extent to which I needed to grow up. Like yesterday, my, I met this guy on a dating app and we, it was like, we fell in love at first sight. And like within a couple of days, he's like, I love you. I've never met anyone like you. You're just you're the love of my life, which obviously all of those things are tremendous red flags, <laughs> like mm-hmm. in retrospect. <laughs> oh my God. Um, but at the time I was newly, fairly newly divorced and desperate for like, a reason that it had happened, or like a reason, you know, why did my family split up? Oh, because this is the love of my life. Now it all makes sense. We had to break up so that I could find this wonderful future, whatever. And then cut to like literally a month later. It turned out he'd been lying about everything. Uh, he was a serial. Uh, he had done this to like multiple women who came out of the woodwork. Uh, it was like a really really intense wake up call to the extent to which I was prioritizing me and my needs and my feelings to the point where a man could upend me that completely, that I like, I mean, I like lost it. I had like a full breakdown, like what am I doing with my life? And that was a major wake up call. Like, no, I don't get to do that anymore. I don't, no one gets to come into my kids' lives and create that kind of havoc. And that's my responsibility. And I think that that's not something I understood until I fell apart so completely.
0: So how does it make you feel when, like, because some of these things are part of your past, like this series of books and things that you're not currently doing. Mm-hmm. So how does it make you feel now? Because it sounds like Jordan is kind of like evolved and evolving and like towards other things. So when you run into someone like me, who's like going crazy over your books, what's your first reaction?
1: Um, the idea that you're going crazy over my books that have really nothing to do with me personally is so exciting. Like words cannot describe the, the sense of relief and like sheer joy that, I am capable of putting out things into the world that sure, they're, they're obviously like based on personal experiences, but they're not, they're not about me. And that is, um, something that I wasn't sure I would ever be able to do because I had grown so used to writing about myself every day. And to realize that, to realize that my abilities exist, not in a vacuum of like self involved or self-absorbed, like rambling, but actually can be extended out into other Areas has been tremendously affirming, and I do marketing. I have like a side hustle in marketing, and I always thought that I always thought that the the success I had had with Ramshackle Glam, with the blog, was like ninety percent luck, like being in the right place at the right time, having this wonderful manager who later fired me because I didn't look like a supermodel. Um, <laughs> and you know, I attributed all of the good things that had come my way to external circumstances. And of course, privilege pays, plays a massive role. You know, I grew up, my parents sent me to college. I grew up in New York city with you know access to opportunities, but to have my entire career, essentially, I felt like it fell apart because my, my management company did fire me and around the time of my divorce, actually. Thanks guys. <laughs> and, and then to be going through this like emotional, moment. And then my career, I think it fell apart. And then to just be like, oh, no, I can just, I'm like, I'm good at things. Like I can just pivot and try other things and some work and some don't, but it was very empowering, especially as a newly single mother to realize that it wasn't all luck and like the goodwill of other people.
0: Yeah. Well, this book is definitely not luck. And I would love if you would share a little bit about Like just a little bit more about it, like writing it, intentions, like what, like.
1: Um, Here it is. Oh, here, here. Uh, (laughs) So yeah, like I said, it started as like a mini coloring book. And then we did what what you do um, when you start pitching a book to an editor, you do what's called, well, you do a proposal and part of that process, well, you know this, but part of the process is you do comps. So you see what else is in the market where there might be a, a hole that you can fill. And we looked and we're like, what to expect and expecting? And, you know, at now I think there's actually more humor in the market. Like there's some dad, funny dad book that's always in the top 10 or something. But at the time there wasn't anything, you know, certainly not anything that was selling on any considerable level that we felt like spoke to the side of pregnancy. That's like, Jesus, this is like this is ridiculous what is happening to me. And it was all like, you know, feelings and love and wellness and vitamins. And we were just so exhausted. Like there is a page, this one was so fun. We talked, um, there's a page that six things you can try to beat morning sickness. And we're like, Oh, like motion sickness bracelets. Sure. Okay. I'm sure (laughs) those are $19. Wonderful um, aromatherapy. We're like, if this works for you, please email us with the subject line. I was cured by smells and tell us about your experience. Like we, none of these things worked for us. And it's just like, we enjoyed sending up the culture. That's like, eat some fennel seeds, It'll all be okay. You're like, no, <laughs> they taste really bad.
0: <laughs> I think that this is why it's so funny. My own favorite page of the book is 92. Circle the three things that are currently making you the most insane, and I looked down and it said pepperoni nipple, mm-hmm. and I, I thought as someone who like has severe stress incontinence from bladder prolapse post surgery and having babies, I was like, oh my god, I'm gonna pee my pants in the middle of the store in whitefish because pepperoni nipples was it made it just got to me at the most hilarious. Level, and then the, it was followed up by skin tags, and then I was like, "Close the book right now! I can't keep reading it because I am laughing <laughs> so hard." And I was like, "And you know, there is a There is the the list goes on, but the the hilarity of taking something so heavy like pregnancy, and it's so it's so stressful, and everyone listening right now knows there is so much anxiety." Yes. It's like to die anxiety. And you're like, basically you're like for nine months, you're like, am I going to die? And is my baby going to die? And how, what am I supposed to do to not die and to try to find sleep and to like feel a little bit better. And this book just makes you, it just helps you just make fun of all of it. Like to sur- And And part of being a doula is helping people surrender. And I think that this book is like, You have created something that's so funny and unique, but it is to me about surrendering. Like, don't fight. Don't fight all this stuff. You just got to give in and you just got to laugh about it.
1: And also in our culture, there's so much, you know, damned if you do, damned if you don't, and policing of women's bodies. And that amps up to like another level when you're pregnant. The unsolicited advice. The, you know, you should be sleeping more, you should you should be exercising more, you should be eating this, you shouldn't be eating this. And Aaron and I both were so annoyed by that that we found it hilarious. Like people, like, especially and then when you have a baby, I remember someone coming up to me and being like, your baby's too hot. Like when we were, I was in a cafe and he was in a stroller and he was asleep. And I was like, he's asleep. And she was like, he's too hot. And I was like, if he what if he was too hot, he wouldn't be asleep. He would be awake. And you don't, I'm not waking him up. I'm having like croissant, <laughs> go away. Um, and you can either get really upset about that stuff or just find it hilarious. And I much prefer the latter approach.
0: Yeah, I think that you've done a really good job. And I think that from my perspective as a doula and someone who spends her life and her days teaching women and being a concierge through their pregnancy and their labors and the deliveries and postpartum, I mean- really finding your book organically in this unique way. It was really special and it's impacting the way in which I do my job and the way in which I serve women through their journey and not just women, but persons, all persons into their journeys into parenthood. And so I'm, I mean, I'm forever thankful.
1: That means so much. Thank you.
0: You're welcome. And now I want to buy all the other ones, including, I didn't buy the divorce one because I bought extra copies of the pregnancy one and I had to get on a plane but I need to buy to the divorce one because I am three years later I am absolutely in the humor phase and ready to bring light and hilarity into the heaviness of it was so many years of heaviness and now that heaviness is lifting and it's just wonderful so I'm gonna I'm going to get your divorce book in my hands quickly too but I know everyone's here also, you guys. We know you're here for a birth story. We're gonna get to that. But I it was really important. I always bring experts on like Jordan to share about all the things we just talked about, like falling in love, falling out of love, parenthood journeys, getting divorced, finding your way. You know, it's life is life is hard and you make me laugh about it, Jordan. So I appreciate that.
1: I'm here for
0: so much. (laughs) So, we have about 10 more minutes, and you have a nine year old and a seven year old. And so, what the way I'm going to ask you to tell your birth stories are to like share about what that experience was like, but really how it fed into the big fat activity book for pregnant people.
1: Yeah. Okay. So My son, we got pregnant with my son when I think I was on unemployment at the time. The blog had not, it started, the first big money generating job I got was the day he was born. I was hired to style and shoot photographs of myself in like nice clothing. And I had to do that four days after he was born. So there are pictures of me online (laughs) four days after I gave birth posing in like fancy boots. That was interesting.
0: But, you so that must sort of not happened. have gained too much weight. <laughs>
1: I, I, I was honestly, I was like kind of a unicorn. Like, I, like I loved. I was so obnoxious. Like, I just felt glowy and like, this is not normal. Don't take this as. I just enjoyed it a lot, but um, but so yes, I really loved being pregnant. We were broke. We were living in, in a fourth floor walk up. Um, I spent a lot of time panicking because. I had no friends at the time who had babies. I don't really have any family close by. Um, my parents are, you know, they, they lived there, but they're not like going to, you know, come over and babysit. They're just not really like that. And um, I was like, how do I get a stroller, for example, up four flights of stairs with a baby and groceries? Like, I was like, I had literally no idea logistically how one does this because everyone's like you can't put the baby in the crib and go back down for the stroller I'm like okay where does the baby go what do I do like I can't <laughs> what what am I supposed to do and I didn't understand I didn't bottle feed even though I really needed to because I started shooting a TV show and I was like uh what do I do because I didn't really know it was like it didn't occur to me as an option because I just didn't have anyone around me saying like whoa 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 give him formula like it's fine I just didn't know. And so when it came time to give birth to my son, you know, I educated myself in all the normal ways. But what happened was it took, as your first birth often does, a really, really long time. And the epidural wore off. And I was in a kind of pain where apparently I was blue. And I looked at the doctor and I was like, whatever the thing that you do when people are dying, you need to do that thing. I'm dying. Like I am dying. Do the, like, I don't know what the emergency thing is. I guess I meant to C-section, but I was not making sense. I was like, I'm going to die to help. And he, he kind of yelled at me <laughs> and then, um, you know, the baby came out and he was blue and I didn't see him. My husband saw him terrified. And then the, you know, rivers, my son, he ended up you know, like they, he was fine. Um, And then once that moment of like intense terror and trauma and fear and pain was more or less over, I did what I tend to do in that kind of circumstance. And I tried to make a joke and I said to the doctor, he was like trying to deliver the placenta. And I said to him like, oh my God, like, could you please (laughs) stop making me be in pain for a second? And it wasn't a good joke, but I was obviously, but I was trying to add levity to the situation. And he turned on me and he said, gosh, he said something like, do you want me to get this out or do you want to die? Like something really dramatic.
0: Oh, and God. And he yelled at me. And you were in the middle of, at this point, you were in a chosen cesarean.
1: No, no. I gave birth vaginally. Oh, um, you did? I, was, I started <laughs> delivering the placenta at this point. And I was like, oh my God, is this not over yet?
0: I skipped, when, when you said like you were asking him for that emergency thing, like that cesarean, I thought that that was your consent. Like I'm concerned.
1: I, I tried. I tried to get consent because I didn't know. I was like, I, I was like, I need to tell them that I'm dying in case they don't know this. Um, but it was so it was so super traumatic. And then to try to joke about it and then to have him like tr- like whip on me and yell at me for like being a baby, I guess, was what he was trying to say was really <laughs> really upsetting.
0: Welcome to the patriarchy. You're sitting on yeah. your back, I'm assuming, with an epidural with your feet and stirrups why some man is like making you feel like,
1: but you want me to stop? You want me to stop right now? And I'm like, no, I mean, I obviously don't want you to stop. Like I was just trying to joke. Sick. And so for my second pregnancy, I went into it very aware. Oh, and also I had uh, tremendous uh, postpartum depression, just tremendous. To the point where the guy in like the right aid, where I went to get like my post-pregnancy pain pills, and I was like sitting there just sobbing and I was like, Where are the pills? And the right aid guy says to my husband, control your woman. And I was like, Oh no, you did not just whatever. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. my experiences with men surrounding my first pregnancy were not fun. Um, and then by the time I was having my daughter, I walked into the hospital shaking like a leaf, like my entire body was shaking. And the nurse came up to me and she said, are you okay? And I was like, I am so scared. And she said, it sounds to me like you had a really traumatic first pregnancy. We're not going to let that happen to you. If you're in pain, we're going to give you medication. And she was like, you don't have to be in pain to have, to give birth. It's not like a mark of strength if you don't want it to be. And I was like, "Oh, thank God!" And so she gave me a little button, and I just pushed that button, <laughs> like every every like time I could. And so by the time I had my daughter, I was like, uh, like you know, on another little level. And I remember I had this feeling that I was going to reach out and I would deliver her myself, like Courtney Kardashian. <laughs> and then I was like, <laughs> "No, I'm on a lot of drugs. I shouldn't do that." But it was like this lovely, pain free like, I felt so supported. I had a female doctor this time, made a big difference to me. Um, and it was cause I advocated for myself and I went in saying, this is what happened last time. I can't, I, I, I need to not feel that way again. And they were like, okay, how about we not yell at you and like, listen to what you need. And I was like, oh, you can just ask for that.
0: Okay. Perfect. Had you changed practices? Yes. Yeah. I okay. okay. <laughs> I was like, that's, part of it too, because I'm hearing you talk, Jordan, and my audience listening, like there's some key things that you said that people need to learn from, right? First of all, an epidural is a tool to turn your pain into pressure. So if you have an epidural and you're feeling pain, you need to call the anesthesiologist and ask them to redo your epidural. You are paying thousands of dollars for that epidural like push the button, advocate, demand, and be like, I should only be feeling a pain-free, I might feel a little pressure, but I should be feeling no pain. And if I'm feeling pain, then you didn't do your job right in anesthesia to give me a good epidural. So like back to your son's birth.
1: Women who want natural births, amazing. Great. I did not. And so at one point with my daughter's birth, they were like doing something called putting in a balloon. I don't remember what that
0: was? It's a catheter that has a balloon on both sides of your cervix and it helps soften and open your cervix. It's a form of an induction.
1: Right. So she said she was putting in a balloon and I stopped her and I said, is this going to hurt? And she said, yes. And I said, can I have some drugs please? And she said, sure. And it didn't hurt. Yes. You know, it was, it, but I had to ask and I felt supported enough by that team to feel like it was okay for me to ask without judgment.
0: Yes. And that is such, that is an important message to everyone listening. Like you decide what you want for your body, either in advance, hey, I want to have an unmedicated birth. Hey, I want to have a medicated birth. Hey, I want to have a wait and see what happens in this show attitude. But the most important thing is, is that once you've made a decision for what you want for your body, you ask for it. And you don't take no for an answer. And if someone is trying to do something to your body that you don't want them to do, then they don't get to get yes as an answer. Right? Right? We have informed consent and then we have informed refusal. So I think it's beautiful, Jordan, that you knew what you had gone through and that you couldn't go through it again and that you had a team surrounding you that was listening to you.
1: And not judging. And then when the day uh, that my daughter was born, I had struggled with that postpartum depression in my first one, and I asked for a psychiatrist to come in hours after she was born, and we sat down and we talked about getting me on Zoloft, which I'm on to this day, and it's made a tremendous difference in my quality of life. And yeah, I mean, you can you can ask for that. You can say, I know that I am at risk for postpartum depression. I know I have struggled with depression in the past. I need to see somebody.
0: I love it. And I'm going to full disclose this. Probably 40% of my doula clients are on Zoloft or have taken Zoloft, which is kind of the go-to SSRI because it's been just studied so well in pregnancy and in postpartum and breastfeeding for safety, right? And it has such a big range. You can start on this baby dose of 25 milligrams. And then if like that's not working for you, you can go 50, 75, 100. You said you asked for a psychiatrist, which is a high level of advocacy and is amazing. But I want my audience to hear, you can ask your midwife or your OBGYN for Zoloft and you can take it in pregnancy proactively because it takes about, Jordan, I don't know what your memory is, but it takes about three to six weeks for really to get into that steady state where you're really kind of feeling like yourself again. And it's-
1: top-gap medication while the Zoloft loaded in,
0: so to speak. Yeah. And that's important to ask for too, you know? and that. uh, But I think so many people don't know that, that it's safe. It's safe to take in pregnancy. It's safe to take when you're breastfeeding. Like, I'm not a doctor here giving medical advice, but I'm just, you know, mom to mom over here. I'm saying, take the Zoloft. Postpartum is not something we should suffer through. No. Now
1: I know that it's, I might be, I don't know if the science has changed in the past seven years, but I don't know if it's the kind of thing that if you weren't on it pre-pregnancy, you can start mid-pregnancy. So that's something to ask for. The same way they say, if you weren't exercising pre-pregnancy, don't start running marathons.
0: Yes. I do know the answer to that question is yes. So if you've never taken Zoloft before, your provider, your midwife or your OBGYN or your psychiatrist, whoever, can start prescribing SSRIs mid-pregnancy. Crazy, I didn't know that. Such a change, right? So that we're preparing people with proactive care for their postpartum mood and their antipartum mood. I mean, like pregnancy anxiety and pregnancy depression, that's a real thing too. And it, it often bleeds over into the postpartum period. So, I mean, I just, you are an expert in vulnerability, Jordan. So, I mean-
1: Well, to answer your question, I think it did directly play into um, the Big Fat Activity book for pregnant people because I saw how important levity was to me during this difficult time. And when that levity was rejected and I was like forced back into like, no, everything is serious. I was like, oh my God, this feels awful. And so I think that did directly uh, inspire the approach of the book.
0: It's amazing. And then you created a solution- I like what you said about how like you shopped around and like looked at the other books on the market with your publisher and that kind of thing. And you realized like you were creating something for parents that was a solution to help them, right? To be part of a solution rather than to like perpetuate a problem of the seriousness of um, what's going on. It's not all serious. (laughs) (laughs) It's just so hard. I mean... You know, my daily life is like 500 text messages of moms with just level 10 anxiety that they're 40 weeks and four days and they still haven't had a baby. And it's so hard to remind them that the average gestation is 41 to 42 weeks, but you just want to have your baby and it sucks, you know? And so this big fat, I literally have said to my moms, like, if you are 40 weeks pregnant, and you don't own the Big Fat Activity Book for Pregnant People yet, like that's the problem, you know? Like this is what's going to get you from week 40 to week 41 to week 42 while you're waiting for spontaneous labor to occur. (laughs) Tell
1: her while you sit around constipated.
0: Yes. Yes, and taking your magnesium pill to help with that. Well, Jordan, I'm just so thankful that you came on today. I just am really grateful that I just bumped into your book. And, you know, I hope that you're not offended that I had never heard of Ramshackle Glam or any of the things that you were in your previous life. But I, I'm just so thankful to hear your story and this like journey of life and as an author and writing and that you've put beautiful, vulnerable, creative work into this world and into my world with pregnant people to make their journey better. And I'm grateful to you for that. So thank you for being here today. Before we go, it's been a long time. So I'm not going to ask you my normal question of like, what's your favorite baby product? Because it's clearly the Big Fat Activity book for pregnant people. But I am going to ask you if um, when my clients do get deep into their postpartum depression and anxiety, and again, I'm not their therapist, I'm their doula, which is sort of like the same thing. I tell them to share with me if you were to look back on your life 10 years ago so let's go back we we heard how awful 2007 was but let's go back to 2011 and i want you to look back from 2011 to today tell me three things in your life or five or as many as you want that you dreamed about having in 2011 that you didn't have that are part of your life now to give gratitude for?
1: Um, My son has recently reached the age where he is my genuine friend, where we can look at each other across the room and like communicate with just our eyes the same way you can with your best adult friend. Mm -hmm. And having that in my life every day is I never knew how much I would enjoy him as a human. My daughter makes me laugh. Like I always thought, I remember my parents laughing when I was a kid. And then as I got older, I figured they were being patronizing. Cause I was a, a kid. I, I couldn't have been that funny. And like, she's so funny. And, and like, I genuinely like I belly laugh, not infrequently with my seven year old, which is so fun. And what else? I guess I felt very out of control. Um, I struggled with addiction in my 20s. Um, I felt like I would never, like, how could I be a parent? I'm a child. And I think I still felt that way, a ways into actually becoming a parent. And it was the divorce, I think, and the subsequent realizations that, of what I needed to be doing that I wasn't always doing that transformed me into some approximation of an adult. It's still a work in progress, but that's okay.
0: I love it. And I think that that's really cool to hear as someone who's in the middle of a divorce and has had this giant trauma in my life also. Like I'm in that same place. Like something that I had dreamed about was marriage and children and all that. And I'm now in a space where like, I'm almost thankful for the journey and the pain and the trauma and the divorce because it too transformed me.
1: There is a quote that I will leave you with. That Mm -hmm. is my favorite quote. And it got me through the divorce and many other experiences. And it is let go of the illusion that it could have happened any other way.
0: That's amazing. Yeah. I'm probably going to frame it today and just put it next to my bedside. So, how do we get a hold of you, Jordan?
1: I am on Instagram at Ramshackle Glam. I have uh, a website uh, with you know 12 years of daily essays called Ramshackleglam.com. You can search the tag Divorce if you're interested in reading uh, what I wrote up about divorce. And all my books are available on Amazon and wherever books are sold. <laughs> I
0: have to say that. <laughs> Yes, at all these random gift shops too, wherever you might go shopping in person. So Jordan, thank you so much for being a guest today. And it has been wonderful.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thank you for listening to Birth Story. My goal is you will walk away from each episode with a clear picture of how labor and delivery might go. And that you will feel empowered by the end of your pregnancy to speak up, plan and prepare for the birth you want, no matter what that looks like.